I thought about how I phrased that title, How Not uh, to Grow Old, and I don't want to give the wrong impression. I'm not going to give you a formula for the fountain of youth in this message. Uh, you know, how not to, uh, or hard to slow down growing old. I, that's not what is the purpose of that title. It's um, if you grow old, don't grow old this way that we're going to be looking at today at Eli in 1 Samuel 4. Uh, as the Lord gives you uh, years, and he gave Eli, can you believe, 98 years. But the sad testimony, and it's the last and the end of Eli's life that is recorded here, he did not grow old gracefully. Uh, at the age of 60, which was, which I'm still looking forward to, <coughs> um, um, I started praying, Lord, um, help me not to become a grumpy old man. What do you mean, yes? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 help me not to become a grumpy old man. Uh, how to grow old gracefully. And uh, uh, that's not the case with Eli. Now, as you know, uh, maybe those of you who are visiting today, we are going through the Old Testament by characters, okay? That's what we're doing. And we have looked at Hannah a couple of weeks ago uh, with Chris, and last week uh, focusing in more on young Samuel. Uh, now Samuel is starting to grow into maturity. But now we want to pick up uh, a character that was introduced in 1 Samuel 1, Eli. We've mentioned him in passing. Now we want to write the last chapter to Eli's life. And sadly, it's not a pretty one. Now, I think the best thing is um, for us to read the entire chapter and then for me to comment on it. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Uh, four one actually belongs with the end of chapter 3, where it says, and the word of the Lord came, uh, uh, excuse me, the word of Samuel came to all Israel. But then there's a detour. Before the rest of the account about Samuel is picked up in chapter 6 and 7, there's a final chapter that has to be described about Eli's excuse me, uh, uh, Samuel's predecessor, Eli. I would like to say his mentor, but I'm not sure that's the best term. At least his predecessor. Last week, uh, Harold uh, introduced you to uh, the um, young Samuel, the word of the Lord coming to him. Samuel, Samuel, and he thinks it's Eli, and Eli doesn't discern right away that it's the voice of the Lord and uh, he says, when you hear it again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And thus we see Samuel really coming to replace Eli. But we're not sure how old Samuel is at the beginning of chapter 4. He's getting into his maturity. How old that is, we don't know, because it says the word of, the, of Samuel came to all Israel. But before the narrator, and we not, aren't sure who the narrator is, um, uh, he needs to give you the final chapter 
on Eli, and it's not a pretty one. I'll pick it up. Verse 1, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer, we say, Ebenezer in Hebrew, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. This is just a few miles east of Tel Aviv, still in the great coastal plain of, uh, of Israel. The Philistines drew up in a line against uh, Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. 4,000. As the uh, army of Israel came out to meet them, the Philistines are now pushing into the uh, interior, moving away from the plain of Philistia, uh, the five cities there, uh, the celebrated five cities of the Philistines. Now they're moving into Israel's territory. Israel went out to meet them. First day, they're defeated, 4,000 dead. Keep going. Verse 3, when the troops came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Good question. Why had the Lord, why did the Philistines uh, defeat Israel. They answered it wrongly. They didn't go far enough. What, what, what did they say? They answered their question. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, you heard about them last week, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. As soon as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, why does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? What does it mean? And when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, a god has come into the camp. Actually, uh, it's plural in the original, and they may have said the gods, being polytheists themselves. They may have, uh, have implied, oh, oh they're, they're going to bring their gods out to us. I call it God in a box. Wrongly so. God in a box. Uh, uh, and they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? See that? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. They had a memory. They had heard about the Israelite uh, God, who they interpreted as gods, and they said, same thing's going to happen to us. It happened to the Philistines and uh, the Egyptians and also the Canaanites. Take courage. Talk about military men here. Take courage, you military men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. Now, if you've been reading from Exodus up to this point, you might say, boy, they ought to be scared because God's really going to zap them. Not so. Not so. Verse 10, so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated. And they, that is the Philistines, uh, uh, excuse me, the Israelites fled every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for their fellow of Israel, 30 
8,000 foot soldiers. Wow. First day, 4,000. The second day after they bring the ark into the battle front, battle line, 30,000 died. Wow. Verse 11, the ark of God was captured. Not only did the ark not bring them, quote, good luck, unquote, the defeat was worse when the ark came. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. You were introduced to them last week. Bad guys. Eli's sons. Bad guys. They died in battle. Whoa. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line. No texting. No walkie-talkies. Nothing. You depend on face-to-face communication. So a survivor, a man of Benjamin, runs all the way, the 20 miles, back to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. That's not from the battle. That's a symbol of mourning, dirt on the head, tearing the clothes, mourning this death of 34,000. But that's not the great grief. The great grief, as bad as it was with 34,000 dying, was not that. The great grief was what? The ark of the covenant of the Lord was captured. Verse 14, when Eli heard the sound, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, I skipped verse 13. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road watching. This is probably inside the city, but the road means the road that leads from the gate to the tabernacle. He's probably sitting right next to the tabernacle, but uh, beside the road that goes into the tabernacle. He's sitting there, and his heart was trembling for his sons. His heart was trembling for Israel. His heart was trembling for the ark of God. Very interesting. When the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, "'What is this uproar?' Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now, Eli was 98 years old. Don't say amen. Um, Yeah. And his eyes were set so that he could not see. Very graphic description of just his eyes looking straight ahead but not seeing. 98 years old. Let me tell you, at this period of time in Israel's history, anybody who lived in 98 was a really, well, it's true today, (laughs) today. Really, really. All the time of the patriarchs living into the hundreds is over. Um, three score years and 10 is what you're allotted. If, if, if it's four score, it's pain and sorrow. Can anybody, well, I won't ask any 80-year-olds to say amen about that. That scripture says that. Uh, you know, three score years and 10, that's it. Uh, my time's over. Oh, well, I, I, anyway, my allotted time is there. Now headed towards well, some of you are headed towards 80. I'm not. Anyway, anyway. Uh, uh, but but it, if it's 80, it's going to be, huh, pain and sorrow. 98? Whoa. Can't see. He's overweight. The man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled from the battle today. And he said, how did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There's also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. Then he adds this, and the ark of God has been captured. Now watch. As soon as he, that is Eli, 
I'm sure, as soon as the messenger mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy. He had judged Israel 40 years. This is during the time when a priest and a judge is the same. We're still sort of like at the end of the judges period. Samuel introduces the next period after the judges. So he's a judge and a priest. 40 years, he's gone. Uh, If that's not enough pain, look at verse 19. Now his daughter-in-law, the wife of Phinehas, I think the Hebrew is Pincus, Pincus. I think I prefer Phinehas. Anyway, yeah, uh, the wife of Pincus was pregnant, about to give birth. When she heard that the news that the ark of God was captured, that her father-in-law and her husband was dead, were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman attending her said, Don't be afraid, for you've birthed, you've born a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. She named the child Ichabod, Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel. We'll talk about that later. Why has the glory of God departed from Israel? Because her husband's died? Because 34,000 have died? Because Eli's died? No, the glory of God has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God has been captured. And then she's gone. Two words dominating, no, excuse me, two moods, two actions dominating this chapter. First of all, death. 4,000 soldiers dead. 30,000 soldiers dead. Hophni and Phinehas, sons of uh, Eli, dead. Eli, dead. Phinehas' wife, dead. Death, like a pall of darkness, is over this chapter. Secondly, accompanying that would be sadness. And I want to park on that for a minute. Sadness. It is so easy, we as Bible believers and who I think have our theology correct, to not catch the sadness here. 34,000 soldiers dead and one two-day battle. That's 34,000 grieving mothers and maybe as many grieving widows. Think about that. Sadness. Hophni and Phinehas, dead. Eli, dead. The wife of one of, uh, of Phinehas, dead. There's sadness here. Now, why do I want to park on that for a minute? It's very easy, we who I think have our theology right, as we read these texts, to not feel the emotional pain that's going on here. It's too easy for us to say, well, I got what they deserved. Israel's 
disobeying. They got what they deserved, those 34,000 guys who died in battle. Uh, put yourself in the sandals of their mom and their, and, and their widows. And try to feel a little sadness here. Well, Phinehas and Hophni got what they deserved. Eli, because of his, uh, you know, his, his poor uh, role as, as a priest, got what he deserved. It, it, it's so easy for us to say that these people are, Israel's being punished for what they deserve and not enter into their sadness. Don't do that. When you're reading Scripture, don't let your theology keep you from entering into the emotional pain that these people must have experienced. We ought to feel that pain and not just blow it away as, well, they got what they deserved. Yeah, maybe they did. But tell that to the widows and the mamas. And then the added pain of losing the ark. The added pain of saying, what went wrong? The added pain of this. Where were you? We had your ark. You dwell between the cherubim. And certainly, we did the right thing, didn't we, of taking your ark the emotional pain that must have accompanied a failed attempt to do wrongly, but still to do what they thought would bring them victory. Where was God? So in addition to the pain of loss of life, there's the additional pain of the the ark. We've had the ark with us for hundreds of years. This is where you dwell, oh God, visibly, a visible token of your presence. And, and they not only defeat us, but now the most precious object in our nation has been captured. And you know what they're going to do with it? They're going to put it in one of their pagan temples as a trophy, as a spoil for defeating their enemies where was so don't read this coolly dispassionately and at a distance read it with the emotional pain that must have accompanied what happened then death Sadness. The, you know, the ark appears 12 times in 22 verses. It says the ark has been captured five times over a space of about 12 verses. It says the ark has been captured. The ark has been captured. So in addition to death, in addition to sadness, there's this theme of the ark. Now let's see if we can make some sense out of this for Israel and then make some sense out of this story for us. Because in the midst of this is our theme, how not to grow old, okay? You say, 34,000, isn't that really? Come on, that's really. This is some inflated number that the Bible has. Study 
the Civil War, Antietam, 25,000 casualties in one day battle at Antietam. Gettysburg, the next venture of the South North, over 50,000 casualties in a three-day battle. And I don't even begin to talk about the Great War. They didn't call it the First World War until years later. The Great War, where over a period of, I don't know how many days, Greg Fraser, the Battle of the Somme, hundreds of thousands, primarily British soldiers. That's not to count the German soldiers. So, so please don't say, oh, these, these numbers are inflated. Um, this, is, this is a huge slaughter uh, compared to the numbers of soldiers fighting compared to the numbers that were fighting in the Civil War and the size of the armies in the Great War. So this is hugely tragic. Now, what do we do about this thing called the Ark? What do we do about this thing called the Ark? Uh, now, let's look at this. Uh, again, you know, maps don't, are not everybody's cup of tea, but I hope that you will see this. Here is Shiloh. Shiloh is where the Ark is kept for nearly 400 years before later, well, before it's captured, and then later makes its way down through the Philistines and all the way up to Kirjath-Jerim. Notice here, right next to the Ibex campus. Ta-da. Okay? And then it finally makes its way to Jerusalem under David. But it's kept here. This is where, uh, uh, this is where uh, Eli is. This is where Samuel is. This is where Hophni and Phinehas are. Uh, there in Shiloh. And now here's the Philistines coming up the coast and they get to Tel Aviv and they move east and they camp at Aphek and uh, there's the battle at Eben Ezer. It's an ironic stone of help, Eben Ezer, but God didn't give them help here. Sort of like an ironic name. So they bring the ark down from Shiloh and not only are they defeated, but the ark is captured, and next week we'll look at the pilgrimage, if you want to call it that, that the ark takes through, the, through three Philistine cities. No, one, two, three, four Philistine cities uh, before it comes back to Israel. Now, the ark, let me just uh, uh, put this down. The lights are crazy around here. The bathrooms are non-existent. But in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Thank you, uh, Dr. Businitz, for reminding us. Uh, in everything, give thanks. Okay, good. Uh, now, this is in a recreation, inside a recreation of the tabernacle in the southern part of Israel, in the Negev, done by the Southern Baptists. They've done a good job there. And so, inside the reconstructed Holy of Holies, here is this. I, I like the simplicity of this because sometimes you see pictures of the ark and it's gigantic and the cherubim look like they're coming out of a horror movie. You know, uh, I like the simplicity of this. Uh, the ark is covered with gold. It's a wooden chest covered with gold. This is what is called the mercy seat. Now, it didn't slide back like this, but uh, uh, they found a way to slide it back to show you what's inside. The uh, Aaron's rod, excuse me, the uh, Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded 
and a uh, pitcher of manna. So they so they slide this back and forth to show you that. So this would be farther up. So uh, here's the uh, cherubim. Now, over and over and over in the Torah and in these references, we read that um, rather than a human king who what? Sits on a throne. Yahweh is the king of Israel who sits above the cherubim. This is Yahweh's throne right here. And in the Holy of Holies, where do you go to visit uh, Queen Elizabeth in the inner sanctum. You don't come in until she says, and you don't turn around and show your back to her. You go out, okay? I know. I see her every Thursday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, so, so, um, so this is the Holy of Holies. Once a year is all that it, it, a man is allowed in there. So, so uh, God is enthroned here. So they went inside the Holy of Holies there in the tabernacle in Shiloh, and they carried the ark. Notice that there is no word from God or a prophet here. It's the elders of the people that make the decision. The elders, they made a bad decision. Uh, no prophet came and said, take the ark. They did this on their own, no word from God. There's no command in the Torah that if you lose a battle, then take the ark and it'll win it for you. They did this on their own and disaster followed. Let me explain to you why. It's called God in a box. God in a box idea. It's magic. It's superstition. Not the existence of Yahweh, no. Not the importance of the ark is, is superstition. No, it's the attitude of the elders of the people that we've got God in a box. And if we take that box to the front lines, surely God will give us victory. If you don't like the term God in a box, call it the localization of God. God is localized in this box, and if we take that box, God will be with us. God's presence with his people is not based on the physical box, the Ark of the Covenant that you take somewhere. God's presence with his people is because of your obedience. Don't think uh, that you can just have God localized and take him with you wherever you go and automatically you will win. Deuteronomy 7 says, if you obey me, if you obey my word, I will give you victory over your enemies. It's got nothing to do with God in a box. You might even call it a good luck charm. The the great teaching of the Ark of the Covenant with the presence of, uh, uh, of Yahweh uh, there has become something magical to them. Let me put it this way. I'm going to shoot a free throw before I've got to kiss that crucifix. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you said, well, 
I'm dating myself. I don't think they let them wear crucifixes anymore in the NBA. But I remember that. I remember seeing uh, Catholic basketball players, even in the NBA, kiss the crucifix. The crucifix has become what? A good luck charm. A good luck charm. Um, my, My wife and I watch The Amazing Race. It's a break. Don't condemn me. We don't watch some of the garbage that you watch. (laughs) And every now and then, every now and then, uh, they'll touch a crucifix or touch a Buddha or or get a blessing from some Hindu uh, holy man, and they think that's going to give them good luck for the race. Yeah, we can do that. The localization of God. God's blessing on his people is tied to his people's obedience to them. Now, if you want to have a crucifix, okay. I'm not so sure it'd be cool if you had a Buddha. But anyway, if you want to have a crucifix, okay. But don't think by having a crucifix here or there or in your house, it's going to spare you from some sort of bad event or give you good spiritual luck. If so, you are falling into the same problem that these people had. If we have the ark out there, certainly God will give us victory. And God shows them that, no, it's your success, Israel, is not tied to a box. Your success is by obeying me. Joshua 1, God said it to Joshua. We saw it, I don't know how many weeks ago, a few weeks ago, this Torah, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall read in it day and night. For then shall you have your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. By having your daily devotions, by reading the word, by obeying that word, and not even so much as, well, if I bring a Bible with me, put that Bible in that suitcase, we're going on the amazing race, and you know God will be with us, will he, because of a Bible in your suitcase? One gal saw, <laughs> I don't know if she said it because she's religious or she's secular. She said, I think God is interested in more important things than the amazing race. I think she nailed it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, you'll give me success. No. So there's the problem, the localization of God. It's no worse than magic. Excuse me, no better, excuse me. Yeah, no better than magic. God is not a magician. You rub a crucifix or rub his Bible or say hello to him to give you good luck during the day. No, you obey me. You obey me. And Israel was in disobedience. So God even suffered the risk of his own humiliation. Can you imagine that? God suffered the risk of his own humiliation by allowing his ark to be captured to teach Israel a lesson. He risked his own reputation. He could have easily zapped the Philistines, but Israel didn't deserve it. They were in disobedience. And so they lose the ark Now, I'm just going to give you the first two journeys of the ark. First of all, at Shiloh, and then secondly, at Ebenezer. Next week, and I'm not dismissing you, I've still got 10 minutes. Next week, up to Ashdod. 
the pilgrimage, that's not the right word, the exile of the ark. Now, let's see if we can connect it together with some, uh, some other texts. This is Israel's later problem as well. Jeremiah addresses it in Jeremiah 7, 4 through 7. It's towards the end of the um, uh, existence of Israel, centered around not the tabernacle now, but the temple. And Jeremiah says, don't say to us, say to me, we have the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. We've got the temple of the Lord. We've got everything. Jeremiah says, no, you've got the temple of the Lord, but you're disobedient. And during Jeremiah's time, the temple didn't bring them good luck. They disobeyed, and God allowed the conquering of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. He allowed the destruction of his temple, not just the ark, the destruction of his temple. Jeremiah said, don't say to me the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, like that's going to bring us good luck, and, and, and the Babylonians will never defeat us. No. Because you've disobeyed me, even the temple of the Lord will not be a good luck charm for you. And that's exactly what happened. And Jeremiah watched it as the, quote, good luck charm, unquote, of the children of Israel, the temple of the Lord, went up in flames. God, again, risked his own reputation to teach his people a lesson. He risked people saying, oh, didn't didn't God great enough to, to... Defend his temple? More important than that is your obedience, Israel. Interesting parallel. Now we got another parallel too. All right, let's move ahead. Um, The guy runs. He gives a message. Old uh, Eli keels over and he's gone. Sad ending to a man's life that he would end that way, not being blind, that's no curse, not being heavy, that's no curse, but living on a memory, that's the problem with Eli. How not to grow old, living on a memory. He failed with his sons, as we saw last week, his sons were wicked men and he didn't restrain them. He failed with his sons, then he failed with God. He's growing old, sadly. In all seriousness, apart from any joking, you know, you get into 60 and you start to say, I don't know how many more years I have. You get to 70, and and one day I'll get there. How many more years? Finish well, people. Finish well. You say, I'm 30 years old. I don't have to think about that. Yeah, I was 30 years old two years ago, it seems like. (laughs) Two years ago, I was 30. It seems that way. Right, Jim? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say, "Ah, I'll worry about that later. Finish well. Determine now that you'll finish well and you'll finish well. Determine now that you'll finish well. 
You'll finish well. Whatever your age. He's living on a memory. Still the high priest. But he's failed in so many ways. We, we already see some of the indication what's going on in Eli's life. Remember in chapter 1, he sees Hannah praying, and she's praying silently. He thinks she's drunk. Samuel comes twice and tells that he hears a voice. Remember that? That's weak. And Eli is too spiritually dense, I think to recognize it, and finally it gets through to him. So already in chapter 1 and then in chapter 3, we start to see that Eli is not really on target. And now we see, you know, I don't think that they could have taken the ark without Eli's permission. It doesn't say he permitted them, but it says the elders of the people, Eli also bought into this God in a box idea, this magic, this good luck charm. And I think he, I don't think it would have gone to the battle without Eli permitting it. How not to grow old. It's never too late. You blew it with this. You blew it with that. It's never too late, folks. It's never too late. Don't say, well, I'm old, it's, you know, I've made all these mistakes, may as well, you know, face the grave. It's never too late. It's never too late for your kids, never too late for your grandkids to see an older person really walking with the Lord. Don't give up. Don't give up. Grow old gracefully. May God grant my answer, my prayer, that I not become a grumpy old man. May God grant your prayers every day. Lord, help me to age gracefully. How not to grow old. Why are these people in Scripture? They're warning signs. Beep, 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 beep. What's that? That thing's backing up. Wake up. Watch out. These are warning signs in scriptures. Even Eli, the sad story of Eli is a warning sign. Beep, 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 beep. Grow old gracefully. Oh, what a sad story about the gal, wife of Phineas. She dies after she gives birth, dies in childbirth. And, and what does she name the child? Either no glory or where is glory. Hebraists discuss whether Ichabod is no glory or where is glory. Joseph Zakevich will settle that one for you after class. Still the same thing. What do you name him? Bob, Harry, Finney has Jr. Name him Ichabod. Name him no glory. She knew that when the ark was gone. God was gone from Israel. If God would not give them victory, even when they had his ark, that must mean that God has withdrawn his glory from Israel. Sad, very, very sad ending to this. 
ikabod. Very interesting. Ah, I don't know if I need to tell you this because you can't check it out. Heavy and glory is the same thing in, in Hebrew. Uh, God's glory is his heaviness, you might say. So here he is. Um, Eli is, is, is heavy and he dies. And God's heaviness, kavod, his, it's gone. It's gone. Not because of the physical ark. God's glory departed from the ark and then the ark was captured. See? God had departed before the ark was captured. Something else there. Harold, did you notice this? Ezekiel 9 through 11. Ezekiel 9 through 11. This is the same situation that Jeremiah saw. Iniquity everywhere. And Ezekiel sees a vision. And he sees God's glory, his kavod, the brightness of God's glory inside the Holy of Holies, inside the temple and and Ezekiel sees it, and it's God's glory. Then he sees God's glory moving away from the Holy of Holies, and it goes to the front door of the temple. Pauses a little bit, then God's glory goes to the front uh, gate of the city. And as Ezekiel is watching this, it goes, the God's glory, God's presence, goes from the gate of the city to the Mount of Olives. And those of you who've been there knows what's immediately east of the, Mount of, uh, of, of the gate of the city the Mount of Olives. And then Ezekiel sees God's glory, God's kavod, leaving the Mount of Olives and going east and disappearing. Kavod is gone. Glory is gone. Why? Previous chapter, Ezekiel 8, the sinfulness of Israel. He sees sinfulness going on in the temple. And what happens? God's glory departs. And the ark is left there. To be pillaged, to be destroyed, we don't know. We don't know what happened to the ark. Some say it's in an army warehouse in Washington. I, haven't, I don't know. <laughs> but God's glory, and the ark is gone, and the ark is just simply a box without God's presence. See, that's the lesson in 1 Samuel 4. The ark is simply a gold box without God's presence. And Ezekiel sees, because of the sinfulness of people, God's glory leaves that's what happened here. God's glory left because of the sinfulness of the people and the ark was captured. Well, it's a sad. I can't make it good, folks. All I can say is you don't have to die like Eli. You've got a choice you can make. I mean, if God gives us, I, I understand. I understand. We can lose our mind. We can lose our faculties. We can lose our physical strength. I know that. But if God gives you a mind and God gives you strength, serve him till you die. Don't go back. You failed along the way, but don't give up. Don't give up. Finish well. Now, the story ends like this. Finney has death. Finney has his wife. Contrast that with the end of chapter 2, verse 10. Chris taught about it a couple of weeks ago. Notice the contrast between Phinehas' wife and, um, and Hannah. Hannah says, God will give strength to his anointed one. She's the mother. 
of Samuel. And here the contrast with this sad woman, Finney has the glory is departed. Samuel will be, with a small g, the glory of Israel. Finney has his wife speaks about the glory has gone. What a contrast. This story's not over. Samuel will pick it up. But not before we see what happens to the ark among the Philistines. Don't give up, folks. Don't die like Samuel, uh, like Eli, living on a memory. Even if you don't have strength, keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the Lord. Even if they're blind, keep your eye on the Lord and finish well, okay? We've got a 103-year-old gal who's finishing well. Let's stand and pray for her. Father, we pray for the Doherty's as they take care of her mom. You've given her so many years. And I pray that as the physical pain is there, that your grace might be abundant for her and also for Jim and Chris as they care for her. Help us all to finish like this, dear lady. Help us all to finish well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.